the flesh from the bone when it's on its fucking own. I don't give a fuck. I kiss that fucking chrome. My blown. The dome is out. The fucking brain is out. The thoughts are out. Come and call the creeps out. Yeah. This is Thriller in Manila without the Jackson in the gloves and the jacket, my nigga. This is Thriller the Manila without the Jackson, without the glove, with the motherfucking jacket, my nigga. She like to do it hard in the graveyard and we bone on the tombstone. She rip my fucking heart out and watch it beat when it's fucking gone. My mind is blown. Let me tongue kiss that chrome. Blah, bang. My brain been blown. Thoughts been blown. Intellect been gone. Intellect been gone. As I lay my head down to sleep, I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. If it's mistake, well then, fuck you in the motherfucking crew that room with you. I don't give a fuck about any of you. I like my motherfucking blood crocodilated when she ripped my heart out and stared at it while it beat and shit like. They just be laughing how I be stroking up from the back on the tombstone. She like they get it on when we bone. She like they go extra hard. Fucking in the graveyard. I tell her motherfucking chest apart and dig in it. I can see her heart is missing. She never had one in a fucking rib cage. She said all I wanna do is just come and unleash my rage. Yeah. You'll be alright. In my tortured ears, there sounds unceasingly a nightmare whirring and flapping, and a faint, distant baying as of some gigantic hound. It is not dream. It is not, I fear, even madness, for too much has already happened to give me these merciful doubts. Sinjin is a mangled corpse. I alone know why, and such is my knowledge that I am about to blow out my brains, for here I shall be mangled in the same way. Down unlit and illimitable corridors of eldritch fantasy sweeps the black, shapeless nemesis that drives me to self-annihilation. May heaven forgive the folly and morbidity which led us both to so monstrous a fate. Wearied with the commonplaces of a prosaic world, where even the joys of romance and adventure soon grow stale, Sinjin and I had followed enthusiastically every aesthetic and intellectual movement which promised respite from our devastating ennui. The enigmas of the symbolists and the ecstasies of the pre-Raphaelites all were ours in their time. But each new mood was drained too soon of its diverting novelty and appeal. Only the somber philosophy of the decadence could hold us. And this we found potent only by increasing gradually the depth and diabolism of our penetrations. Baudelaire and Huismans were soon exhausted of thrills, till finally there remained for us only the more direct stimuli of unnatural personal experiences and adventures. It was this frightful emotional need which led us eventually to that detestable course which even in my present fear I mention with shame and timidity. That hideous extremity of human outrage, the 
abhorred practice of grave robbing. On October 29th, we found in the soft earth underneath the library window a series of footprints utterly impossible to describe. They were as baffling as the hordes of great bats which haunted the old manor house in unprecedented and increasing numbers. The horror reached a culmination on November 18th, when Sinjin, walking home after dark from the distant railway station, was seized by some frightful carnivorous thing and torn to ribbons. His screams had reached the house, and I had hastened to the terrible scene in time to hear a whir of wings and see a vague black cloudy thing silhouetted against the rising moon. My friend was dying when I spoke to him, and he could not answer coherently. All he could do was to whisper, the amulet, that damn thing. Then he collapsed, an inert mass of mangled flesh. Chapter 2 Halloween Special. Your nipples while I jerk off with barbed wire. I'm not a liar. Uh, sex I claim like McGuire. Uh, that I McGuire, uh, McGuire. Whatever I put together, I will put inside you and make sure I implode in ya. Cinderella lost her foot when I gave her the shoe. Fuck with me, fuck with you. Uh, Snow White, I poison the apple twice because she like it like that. Seems as if many bulging, watery, unwinking eyes looked oddly at me as I claimed my valise in the lobby, and I hoped that none of these unpleasant creatures would be my fellow passengers on the coach. For who could crouch blindly while a legion of croaking, baying entities of unknown source flopped noisily past, scarcely more than a hundred yards away? I thought I was prepared for the worst. Influenced by the shocking writing of... Their forms vaguely suggested the anthropoid, while their heads were the heads of fish with prodigious bulging eyes that never closed. At the sides of the necks were palpitating gills, and their long paws were webbed. They hopped irregularly, sometimes on two legs, and sometimes on four. I was somehow glad that they had no more than four limbs. Perhaps you'd better not watch, Williams. I did not heed him. Would that I had, and so spared myself the dreams that invade my sleep even yet. I stood at the window behind him and watched what went on in that room, for the smell of smoke was now permeating the house. Mrs. Potter, or what animated her gross body, started up, went awkwardly to the back door, retreated to the window, retreated from it, and came back to the 
center of the room between the table and the wood stove, not yet fired against the coming cold. There she fell to the floor, heaving and writhing. The room filled slowly with smoke, hazing about the yellow lamp, making the room indistinct, but not indistinct enough to conceal completely what went on in the course of that terrible struggle on the floor, where Mrs. Potter threshed about as if in mortal convulsion, and slowly, half visibly, something other in shape, an incredible amorphous mass, only half glimpsed in the smoke, tentacled, shimmering with a cold intelligence and physical coldness that I could feel through the window. The thing rose like a cloud above the now motionless body of Mrs. Potter, and then fell upon the stove and drained into it like vapor. The stove, cried Professor Keene and fell back. Above us, out of the chimney, came a spreading blackness like smoke, gathering itself briefly there. Then it hurtled like a lightning bolt aloft into the stars in the direction of the Hyades, back to that place from which old wizard Potter had called it into himself, away from where it had lain in wait for the Potters to come from Upper Michigan and afforded new host on the face of Earth. We managed to get Mrs. Potter out of the house, much shrunken now, but alive. On the remainder of that night's events, there is no need to dwell. How the professor waited until fire consumed the house to collect his store of star-shaped stones, and the reuniting of the Potter family, freed from the curse which is hollow, and determined never to return to that haunted valley of Andrew, who, when we came to wake him, was talking in his sleep of great wounds that fought and tore in the place by the lake of Holly where they live in glory forever. What it was that old wizard Potter had called down from the stars, I lacked the courage to ask. But I knew that it touched upon secrets better left unknown in the races of men. Secrets I would never have become aware of had I not chanced to take district school number seven and had among my pupils a strange boy who was Andrew Potter. <laughs> You'll be aight. Shorty follow me Shorty follow me Shorty follow me It all began, old Amy said The meteorite That when I met my shorty I tongue kissed a zombie with a snake uh, That when I met my shorty I tongue kissed a zombie wearing a snake uh, Make no mistake I knew she bad I seen her window meteor collide uh, But I still don't wanna be my bride Was she the bride of Frankenstein? I don't know, I'm the monster All I know Dead or alive, I still want her dough Yeah And I Necrophiliaism, if you fuck it Why it's still moving Even though it's a dead corpse I'm shaking it, so he still have Some type of animation My motherfucking deliberation And tearing his dead pussy up and celebrating Before that time, there had been no wild Legends at all since the witch trials And even then, these western woods Were not feared half so much As the small island in the Miskatonic Where the devil held court Beside a curious stone altar Older than the Indians These were not haunted woods, and their fantastic dust was never terrible till the strange days. Then there had come that white noontide cloud, that string of explosions in the air, and that pillar of smoke from the valley far in the wood. And by night all Arkham had heard of the great rock that fell out of the sky and bedded itself in the ground beside the well of the Nahum Garden.
Gardner Place. Love at first bite. <laughs>
remember when you should have hope but uh, being ignorant is the new dope what fucking to a zombie when you meant your smoke Smoke to a zombie with a pack to someone already dead. Go ahead, all you gonna do is just make me double dead. Aim for my head, I smile instead of just face my fears. I've been swimming in angel tears and I don't give a fuck. Backstroking in this motherfucking world called a muck. I run a muck, tear the shit up. You need to put a sweater on, cause you chilling out. <laughs> That's what I'm about. I stick my dick in the back of your neck and watch it come out your mouth. And then I jerk it through your grinders. I don't give a fuck. I need to wear fucking blinders. Coming to Grim Reaper, like my Instagram comments, and they love to just be like, Hey, why don't you come my way? But I don't expect this set them DMs because I don't want to hear from Reaper that Grim. But uh, I like his hoodie and his circle, and I might chill with him if I get my motherfucking issue. Tales did justice to her observations. But Zechariah came to meet a pair of Alderney 
lasted only 1928 when the Dunwich Horror came and went. Yet at no time did the ramshackle Wakeley Barn seem overcrowded with livestock. There came a period when people were curious enough to steal up and count the herd that grazed precariously on the steep hillside above the old farmhouse, and they could never find more than 10 or 12 anemic, bloodless-looking specimens. Evidently some blight or distemper, perhaps sprung from the unwholesome pasturage of the diseased fungi and timbers of the filthy barn, caused a heavy mortality among the weightly animals. Odd wounds and sores, having something of the aspect of incisions, seem to inflict the visible cattle. And once or twice during the earlier months, certain callers fancied they could discern similar sores about the throats of the gray, unshaven old man and his slatternly, crinkly-haired albino daughter. Spring after Wilbur's birth, Lavinia resumed her customary rambles in the hills, bearing in her disproportioned arms the swarthy child. Public interest in the making subsided after most of the country folk had seen the baby, and no one bothered to comment on the swift development which that newcomer seemed every day to exhibit. Wilbur's growth was indeed phenomenal, and within three months of his birth, he had attained a size and muscular power not usually found in infants under a full year of age. His motions his vocal sound showed restraint and deliberateness highly peculiar in infants. No one was really unprepared when at seven months he began to walk unassisted with falterings which another month was sufficient to remove. It was somewhat after this time, on Halloween, a great blaze was seen at midnight on the top of Sentinel Hill where the old table-like stone stands amidst its tumulus ancient bones. Considerable talk was started when Silas Bishop of the undecayed bishops mentioned having seen the boy running sturdily up that hill ahead of his mother about an hour before the blaze was remarked. Silas was rounding up a stray heifer, but he nearly forgot his mission when he fleetingly spied the two figures in the dim light of his lantern. They darted almost noiselessly through the underbrush, and the astonished watcher seemed to think they were entirely unclothed. Afterward, he could not be sure about the boy, who may have had some kind of a fringed belt and a pair of dark trunks and trousers on. Wilbur was never subsequently seen alive and conscious without complete and tightly buttoned attire. Fresh to death. Incredible. 
Christmas tree. I'm like, the Christmas tree is still October. She said she keep that motherfucker on all year, though. And I'm like, I really like your style. Then she motherfucking rolled me till I motherfucking went to pow. Yeah, I'm trick-or-treating in that pussy like, yeah, yeah. Paper tacked to that frightful canvas in the cellar. The thing I thought was a photograph of some scene he meant to use as a background for that monster. Yeah. Too many skeletons in my closet So I keep no motherfucker out the closet In my motherfucker living room and shit So when you come visit me, you can view them I ain't got nothing to hide from you So fuck them, uh Misery, love 
love company anxiety wanna have a three way with me now let's get it all let's fuck my mind up before i fuck it up let me just split the dutch and roll it up and take a puff now you can tell me all that fucked up stuff this is your BI Halloween special 2020 chapter 2. We chilling over here. I don't know about you. They say they cancel Halloween so much. They say motherfuckers can cancel these How we all wondered where he got those faces. Well, that paper wasn't a photograph of any background after all. What it showed was something a monstrous being he was painting on that motherfucker. It was the model he was using. And its background it was merely the wall of the studio cellar in the new detail. By God, Elliot, it was a photograph from life. Take a picture, motherfucker, last longer than your soul, motherfucker. Uh, take a picture, motherfucker, it'll last longer than your soul, motherfucker, will it? This your life, you can do whatever you want with it. Cause when you're gone, you're gone. And I don't know how long we're gonna be here, but yeah, I'm here. I'm gonna celebrate every day like a new year. Cheer, yeah, yeah, yeah. Take a picture, motherfucker. Hold up, let me see the photo. Hey, does that look like a figure in the background? No, it look like the object. But it is an object. It's my aura. <laughs> Too much shine to stay in one place. Too much shine to stay in one place. The Shadow in the Attic. One. My great uncle, Uriah Garrison, was not a man to cross. A dark-faced, shaggy-browed man with wild black hair and a face that haunted my childhood dreams. I knew him only in those early years. My father crossed him and he died, strangely, smothered in his bed a hundred miles from Arkham, where my great uncle lived. My aunt Sophia condemned him and she died on a stair by nothing visible. How many others might there have been? Who knows? She's more than whisper fearfully of what dark powers were in Uriah Garrison's command. And how much of what was said of him was superstitious gossip, baseless and malicious, none could say. We never saw him again after my father's death, my mother hating her uncle then, until the day she died, but she never forgot him. Nor did I, either him or his gambling roof house on Aylesbury Street, in that part of Arkham, south of the Miskatonic River, not far from Hangman's Hill, Indeed, Hangman's brook flowed through his grounds, wooded too in the cemetery on the hill. I never forgot the shadowed house where he lived alone and had someone in by night to keep his house for him. The high-ceilinged rooms, the shunned attic which 
kind of house that could not fail to lay its dark magic on an impressionable young mind, and it did upon mine, filling brutal fancies and sometimes terrifying dreams from which I started awake and fled to my mother's side, and one memorable night lost my way and came upon my great uncle's housekeeper with her strange, emotionless, expressionless face. She stared at me, and I at her as across unfathomable gulfs of space before I turned and sped away, spurred by new fear imposed upon those engendered in dreams. I did not miss going there. There was no love lost between us, and there was little communication, though there were occasions on which I was moved to send Uriah Garrison a short greeting, the old man's birthday or Christmas, to which he never responded, which was as well. It was, therefore, all the more surprising to me that I should have inherited his property and a small confidence in his death. Shuttered Room One At dusk, the wild, lonely country guarding the approaches to the village of Dunwich in north-central Massachusetts seems more desolate and forbidding than it ever does by day. Twilight lends the barren fields and domed hills a strangeness that sets them apart from the country around that area. It brings to everything a kind of sentient, watchful animosity to the ancient trees, to the briar-bordered stone walls pressing close upon the dusty road, to the low marshes with their myriads of fireflies and their incessantly calling whippoorwills vying with the muttering of frogs and the shrill songs of toads, to the sinuous windings of the upper reaches of the Muscatonic flowing among the dark hills seaward, all of which seem to close in upon the traveler as if intent upon holding him fast beyond all escape. On his way to Dunwich, Abner Waitley felt all this again, as once in childhood he had felt it, and run screaming in terror to beg his mother to take him away from Dunwich, his grandfather Luther Waitley. So many years ago, he had lost count of them. It was curious that the country should affect him so, pushing through all the years he had lived since then. The years at the Sorbonne, in Cairo, in London, pushing through all the learning he had assimilated since those early visits to grim old Grandfather Waitley in his ancient house, attached to the mill along the Miskatonic, the country of his childhood, coming back now out of the mists of time, as were it but yesterday that he had visited his kinfolk. But nothing could erase that final cataclysmic knowledge seared into his mind key to which he had had all along and not known it, the knowledge implicit in his own memories, as well as in the notes Luther Wakely had left, chunks of raw meat he had childishly supposed were going to be prepared on Sari's room, instead of to be eaten raw, in reference to R, who had come back at last, after having escaped back to the only home R knew. The seemingly unrelated reference is also in his grandfather's hand, the missing cow, the sheep, and the remains of other animals, the hideous suggestion clearly defined now in those entries of Luther Waitley's about ours, size commensurate with the amount of food, and he must be kept on a careful diet and to a controllable size, like the Innsmouth people, controlled to nothingness after Sarah's death, with Luther hoping that foodless confinement might shrivel the thing in the shuttered room and kill it beyond revival, despite the doubt that it led him to adjure Abner to kill everything in it that lives. The thing Abner had unwittingly liberated when he 
broke the pane and kicked out the shutters, liberated to seek its own food and its hellish growth again. At first, with fish from the Miskatonic, then with small animals, then cattle, and at last, human beings. A thing that was half Batrachian, half human, but human enough to come back to the only home it had ever known, and to cry out in terror for its mother in the face of a fatal holocaust. The thing that had been born to the unblessed union of Sarah Waitley and Ralsa Marsh, spawn of tainted and thing occurred one midnight late in March 
When y'all step to intercept the rap of a brother who has kept his status. Stop the madness, daddy. I told you to show that black. Y'all can know that me being whack is like now so cold jack. He busted the volcanoes of pure when I speak. Try to twist my dialect and get caught by tornadoes. There he works like a butcher in the midst of his glory wares. I can never get used to the novelty with which he handled and classified certain things. At times, he actually did perform far over surgery for the soldiers. His chief clients were of a less public and philosophic kind of one, requiring many explanations of sounds. This has been really and I shuddered when he finished severing the head, placed it in his hellish vat of pulpy reptile tissue to preserve it for future experiments, and proceeded to treat the decapitated body on the operating table. He injected new blood joined certain veins, arteries, and nerves at the headless neck, and closed the ghastly aperture with engrafted skin from an unidentified specimen which had borne an officer's uniform. I knew what he wanted, to see if this highly organized body could exhibit, without its head, any of the signs of mental life which had distinguished Sir Eric Moreland Clapham Lee. mistake well then fuck you in the motherfucking crew that room with you i don't give a fuck about any of you i like my motherfucking blood crocodilated when she ripped my heart out and stared at it why it beat and shit like uh-uh, uh-uh, uh-uh. you hear the pumping in the motherfucking goose and the goblin did just be laughing how i be stroking up from the back on the tombstone she like to get it on when we she like to go extra hard Fuck 
walking in the graveyard I tell her motherfucker chest apart and dig in it I can see her heart is missing She never had one in a fucking rib cage. She said all I wanna do is just come and unleash my rage Yeah